APSA Corporate and Investment Banking lead the conversation on future investment possibilities and sustainable growth opportunities in consumer goods and services. From a retailer point of view, it's opening up access to different markets. It's making that process end-to-end smoother. And the data analytics, the kinds of marketing that the retailer could start to do, because all of these transactions are happening digitally and they're catching that data digitally, I think is going to you know, open up great opportunities for the retailers. Matching foresight with sustainable possibilities to unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights, hosted by Bruce Whitfield. Brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. Well, you can have the best retail sector in the world, but if you can't get your customers to pay you, then what's the point? South Africa's retail sector, very developed. What's happening in the payment space is increasingly evolving, and there's some really exciting innovations and developments there. Certainly, the ability to transact is at the epicenter of everything. Chief Digital Officer at APSA, James Scott, is with us today. James, this idea of transacting, I mean, it's absolutely perfect. Isn't it? Yep, and I think that the, the ability to transact is the thing that's becoming, in, you know, increasingly interesting. The shift from you know traditional means of transacting onto things that are completely digitally enabled is a really exciting space. And I think that goes without saying that that trend we're going to see continue to scale at, at very rapid rates. In my view, we keep hearing about the great Africa opportunity. How Africa is years, has leapfrogged years ahead in so many technologies, how many of the solutions, especially when it comes to the payments systems, are being developed on the African continent simply because so much of the infrastructure that the rest of the world takes for granted doesn't exist in so many parts of Africa. I mean, is it is it true to suggest that, in fact, in many respects, the African continent is a world leader in terms of where digital payments have gone to? Yeah, I think there's some some very clear examples of where that's uh, where that's true, and, and I think a lot of those examples were born more out of the necessity to facilitate the movement of money versus a pure sort of innovation play. But I think as we start to look into what's what's happening kind of more globally, I think there's still a lot that we can learn, particularly around how we think about the regulatory environment, how that unlocks innovation, how we bring in a lot of particularly in South Africa our financially excluded population and. and and I think that bringing the technology, the innovation, the, the digital payments piece alongside some of the shifts we're seeing in regulation, I think we're going to see a lot of innovation in, in this market. Let's be more specific. I, I read a piece that was sent to me that you had written, so hopefully you remember what you wrote. But in certain locations, the application of modern telecommunications, digital and mobile technologies to everyday life and commerce is exceeding that which can be found in the developed world. That's a big claim. Justify it. Yeah, I mean, I think that the stuff we're seeing particularly as it you know as it as it relates to mobile commerce and really just the explosion of what's happening in, in Africa and, and the use cases that have been developed on top of those mobile technologies I think do exceed what we've seen in some of the more developed markets you know I think where we're a little bit more cautious is that I, I still want to see some of this the kind of opening up of the ecosystem so that we see a lot more people included into this technology and the platform space and also that we see lower cost movement movement of money, whether it's in the remittance space, whether it's in, you know, in, in some of the lower end cash environments. Now to normal human beings, you've just spoken a language which is not really intelligible. You may as well have been speaking Martian or a form of ancient Greek. When you start talking about opening up the ecosystems, that's what you said, opening up the ecosystems. It's a language that you guys 
who are in this technology space, because it's not an industry, it's a space, use. Explain to me what you mean by opening up ecosystems. Yeah, so I think there's a couple of components to that. So, you know, I think what we've seen is is the shift from, you know, if you look at more traditional spaces, particularly as it relates to financial services, these kind of firm physical environments with, I want to call them product pipes that are delivered through to customers and propositions. And the big shift has really been more into horizontal platforms, and you could expand that to call those ecosystems. Now, the participants in an ecosystem, outside of just the consumer or the end consumer of a product on service, could be the third party party digitally enabled providers. So, so in, in financial services, everything from fintechs to, I guess, what we would have called card schemes or, or digital payment providers to various other participants in that ecosystem, obviously, including banks and central banks to some degree. So it's really like a shift from you know more direct products into platform spaces. And then when you go deeper into each of those platform spaces, is it, is it payments? Is it you know things that sit around the payments ecosystem? Okay, explain this to me in simpler terms then. 20 years ago, if I was a Malawian citizen, I'd come to South Africa to do a job of work and I'd left family members behind in Malawi. I wanted to get money to the village in Malawi. I would have done a wire transfer through the bank and it would have cost me a big chunk of cash because it was very, very expensive in those days. Uh, The technologies were very, very different. Today, virtually from my mobile phone, I can send money to another mobile phone in the village. I mean, that is a thing. I think oversimplifying, but essentially what has happened in 20 years. Mobile has facilitated a lot of that. And what you're seeing now is that when you just look at, you know, even in today's sense, the costs still to do that transaction, there, there are some costs around that. When you bring in some of the newer technologies and you provide these sort of lower friction, lower cost rails, so using a, a distributed ledger technology in, the, in that example, you can move that money, you know, at a fraction of the cost and, and at a significantly faster speed. So the thing there, and, and I guess mobile technologies, telco technologies as well, do this at, you know, in, in almost real time. I love yeah. the imagery you use of the rails because we know that economies around the world have industrialized courtesy of railways. People went and put tracks down through the desert, through inhospitable territory. <laughs> Thousands of people would die. Um, and it's just the 21st century rail is invisible. It's it's the digital railway. It's the, the infrastructure that is is invisible to us. Yeah, absolutely. Connectivity, the cloud, how these um, machines are talking to each other and and, and a lot of that without using all all of the jargon. I think that the API economy and, and what we're seeing evolve in that space is you know, incredibly exciting. So when we are looking at this revolution then in payment systems and we're linking it back to the way in which retail is evolving on the African continent and how the ability to transact empowers retailers to then expand their reach, their offerings, how is that going to play out? Look, I think that what you've seen in Africa is you've seen the emergence of, and, and they're not new, you know, payment processes, payment gateways, a lot of providers sitting between retailers as they take a lot of their, their business online and facilitating the movement of money, whether that's through card or EFT in South Africa or mobile wallets if you're if you're sitting somewhere else in, in the continent. I think we're going to see, in my view, some consolidation in, in this space. I think we're going to see more and more improvements around the consumer experience. So, you know, even if, if you 
done quite a bit of shopping online. You've gone from very heavy processes that were put your card in, pin, then there's the step up authentication and you can't remember which phone it goes to. And, and some of those experiences were <clears throat> quite clunky and two ways. It was, now, it was like quicker scanning. to get into your car and drive to the shops and stand in the queue and risk, take health risks than it was to do stuff online. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you look where we're moving to now, I mean, you can link rewards partners to that. You can scan a QR code. You know, it's very easily authenticated on a, on a mobile device. So the experience around shopping online has and is improving significantly. And I think we're going to see more of that happen. Still to come in this EPSA Insights podcast. The physical environments, you know, are going to go through a reimagination of, of what they are there for, if at all. And I think there's always going to be this kind of hybrid between what you do online and what you will do in, a, in the physical sense. And, uh, you know, I think data will be one of the key components of making that transition as seamless as possible for a consumer. Absa Insights. So it does wonders for me as the customer because suddenly it makes my life easier. It makes my ability to get what I want easier and quicker, far less frustrating. I can simply go to the cart. I can go plus, 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 fill up this virtual cart in the knowledge that the money will go and the product will arrive in a day or six or whatever it might be. What does this do then for the retailer? What what business opportunities does it open up that simply didn't exist a decade ago, two decades ago? I mean, look, I think coming back to making it easy for you, the consumer, has has obviously a huge benefit for the retailer or or the merchant because they're removing friction from the sales process. And actually, you also remember like things would sit in a cart for days, if not weeks, whereas now that experience is much better from making a decision around when to purchase to, to actually that financial transaction conclusion is seamless that you know in a way they're going to generate you know more activity and and, and and generate some more sales that I think will also scale into when they move across borders and into different countries where you remove the friction around whether it's foreign exchange or purchasing things across borders so I think from a retailer point of view it's opening up access to different markets it's making that process end-to-end smoother and the data analytics the kinds of marketing that the retailer can start to do because all of these transactions are happening digitally and they're catching that data digitally, I think is going to you know, open up great opportunities for the retailers. I remember a conversation with one of these guys who is increasingly big in this digital payments area and he's targeted really small and medium enterprises and just talked about the magic of digitizing a business for the first time. Now, one would assume that large cross-border businesses are digitized, but the fact that there is the traceability, the trackability, the reportability of numbers in almost a single funnel is the beauty of of what digital technology brings. You're not getting a check and an EFT and a wire transfer. It kind of all comes in in the same door on the same day. And it makes stuff, I'm sure, much easier to report and track. And geolocated. And I mean, the, the kinds of analytics you can run on, on the data is, is phenomenal. I mean, the other thing that, that it also really helps with, which is a, which is a big point, is, is security, fraud, you know, making sure that the integrity of this kind of end-to-end um, system is, is maintained. So, you know, a lot of the, the really good gateway providers and banks, of course, will, will be watching and leveraging the data to make sure that these things are happening safely, securely in the right ways. I, I don't want to open up the crypto blockchain discussion because at that point, most I, people's eyes go squiff. But it strikes me that we're almost in that blockchain, what, the way people talk about blockchain, that we're almost 
there already in the old-fashioned digital world? <laughs> Look, I mean, I think it's, it's a matter of time, I guess, to see, I guess, the, the kinds of scaling we're anticipating in that space. And it's, it is, it's, it's probably a topic for another day because we could go on for ages. But I think what we're seeing in, in let's call it in, in the world as it is today, is the, is the crossing over of some of these technologies as well. You know, there's a lot of merchants that will accept cryptocurrencies as a form of payment. There's lots of businesses that are forming around how to make that a lot safer, a lot more secure and predictable. And, and I think, you know, there's a lot of kind of good and bad when you, you, when you venture into that space. But I think the good the technology is bringing is, is really opening up, you know, the conversation around how we use some of these decentralized systems. Uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, he's a grumpy guy on Twitter. He's written many, many books. And he was just uh, tweeting this week that crypto is a con and uh, blockchain is an unproven technology. He's not buying into this at all. But people, proponents of blockchain will say to you that blockchain is to digital what digital was to sort of physical cash transfer. Transactions. I mean, it's that much of a quantum leap. Explain to me: is it is it simply a question of scale? Is it a question of volume? Is it a, what what is it that you believe blockchain technologies will do to revolutionise what even what we're seeing in digital, which is a revolution in itself? Yeah, blockchain itself and and the derivatives we're seeing from there. So smart contracts, decentralised finance, the entry of stable coins into that environment are really moving a lot of what are heavily in intermediated products and services into a completely decentralized form and network. So you can complete full financial transactions on a blockchain using smart contracts versus many handoffs, many intermediaries. Now, a lot of those are still early stage and are building and, and scaling you know, more broadly in, in, in the global markets. But I think Quite fundamentally, the technology, I would say, is not unproven. I would say blockchain as itself is, is proving and continuing to scale. I mean, it's like, you know, you could go back and look at 100 examples of everybody saying it doesn't look like it's going to be big. And then next minute, it's, you know, like you can't ignore it. But, you know, I think it's an exciting space. It's one we need to watch quite closely. I think the integrity and, and again, security are, are hugely important. And I think the, the South African Reserve Bank's running some interesting experiments in, in Project Corker 2, where the banks and the J and straight are all involved in looking at how we position this potentially as a, as a central bank digital currency. But it's all about learning and still very early stage in this market. It is. Um, but the revolution accelerates then in terms of the ability for money to move in a, a reliable, trustworthy, provable fashion across borders at a cost that I don't know that your predecessors would ever have dreamed was possible. Yeah, true. The lost trick perhaps in all of this is the use of data. And I'm wondering just in your view, how underutilized the data is, because in a world of data, in many cases, we, we put our blinkers on because we don't know where to look or how to look or how to contain it or how to categorize it. Talk to me about the data opportunity that you hope that we will seize. Look, I think that if I bring it back to the banks, you know, I think the banks are sitting on phenomenal amounts of data that can add huge amounts of value to their customers and provide provide you know real access to to interesting you know financial products and solutions i think capturing the data opportunity more broadly as you, as you think into into south africa again it's really around how do you provide access how do we leverage combinations of data between you know could it be telcos and banks to offer our products to financially excluded people and then beyond that, how do we you know, take this into the identity space where we really start to create digital versions of humans um, that, that we can really bring into this realm? But the opportunity that it brings is 
accessibility, convenience and security, which then gives the world of physical retail more and more reason to be going more and more online. And, you know, I think that we will see that. And, and then I guess the, the physical environments, you know, are going to go through a reimagination of, of what they are there for, if, if at all. And I think it's always, there's always going to be this kind of hybrid between what you do online and what you will do in, a, in, in the physical sense. And, uh, you know, I think data will be one of the key components of making that transition as seamless as possible for a consumer. James Scott is Chief Digital Officer for Corporate and Investment Banking at ABSA. Expert advice and data-driven insights that unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights, matching foresight with sustainable possibilities. Brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. For more, visit apsainsights.co.za.